0: The Miriam Project Geula Hour is a worldwide call to action to help raise our awareness that we're living in the times of the Geula Shlema, the final redemption. Join Yehudis Shamroth from Israel as she interviews a variety of respected individuals on the topics of
1: the end of days, the impending Geula Shlema, and the coming of Mashiach soon in our days. Amen. And now, here's Yehudis Shamroth.
0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Miriam Project Geula Hour with Yehudis Shamroth. I am Yehudis. I'm speaking to you right now from the rolling Judean hills of Rabat Beit Shemesh, Israel. And even though we're in winter right now, we're having the most beautiful, glorious day. No rain, although we welcome the rain and we celebrate the rain. Today is the perfect, perfect weather to be here. We uh, enjoy all seasons here, believe it or not. Came in from cover Rachel today. There's all kinds of wonderful things to do in living in Israel. I'd just like to share a little bit about what I do here because the interest in Geula is very uh, on the surface for all of us now. And as we live in a beautiful place like Ramat Beit Shemesh, we like to share what we do here as well. And one of my interests uh, is uh, to interview people about the Gaula Shalema. And today, I have a very special guest, a rabbi who is such a busy man. I had a a few months trying to get a hold of him and get our schedules together. And I have today uh, the great pleasure of interviewing Rabbi J. Yaakov Schwartz.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. I know you're such a busy man, and I'm so um, grateful that you're giving us some of your time. I'll give you a little information about Rabbi Schwartz. Rabbi J. Yaakov Schwartz is an M-A-L-M-S-W. He's a licensed social worker, formerly the Rob of Young Israel of Oceanside, Long Island, and Congregation Ohav Shalom of the Upper West Side in Manhattan. He holds a master's degrees in both social work and pastoral psychology, and Jewish history, philosophy, that's a lot, <laughs> currently, and he's a rabbi, and a father, and a husband, and so on, currently is a Ph.D. candidate in psychology and in behavioral health, uh, and he and his family made Aliyah in 2012 to Ramat Beit Shemesh. He is a very popular speaker in Ramat Beit Shemesh and all over the world, a Torah teacher, and he does private pa- couples counseling and family counseling. He has private practice here in Ramat Beit Shemesh, Israel, as well as via the phone, internet, and, and he posts a lot of his shirim online on YouTube, I've seen, and um, he's going to give us some information in a little while about creating an app you can get for your phone where you can get instant access to his shirim. So welcome, Rabbi Schwartz.
1: Pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you, thank you. Uh, listen, I, uh, you know, you heard my, uh, my little blurb about how I'm very excited about always discussing the fact that we're living in times of Geula. And then and when I first started doing these interviews two years ago, I was a little reluctant to say that because I felt like I was uh, kind of overstepping, like I'm not some kind of Neviah or anything like that. But I think by this time, even two years later, it's on the lips of everybody just about here in Israel, and I've heard many times in your shirim that you refer to the fact that we are living in very special times. Can you speak to that?
1: Absolutely. I think people should be aware, and as the events of our world are move rapidly and are quite disjointed, that there actually is a plan that's unfolding according to Hashem's precise providence, and it's fascinating to watch uh, all these events take place. So for example, I'm sure a lot of your speakers have spoken about the Vilna what I call timeline of the gula or what I like to refer to as the countdown to the seventh day being Well, started. I'd like to
0: hear, I think our listeners would like to hear about that. The Vilna Gaon
1: uh, wrote and is recorded by his students based on the Gemara and Sanhedrin and Parakelech that the world is divided in terms of time, into three distinct zones, each one of 2,000 years. The first 2,000 years being called Tohu, years in which God's Torah, was not yet revealed to the world. This includes the generation of the Mabal. This includes, of course, the generation of this separation, which would come just at the emergence of Avm which marked the beginning of the second 2,000 years, known as the 2,000 years of Torah. That Ironically, um, Avram Rabinu was born in the year 1948, according to the Jewish calendar. So that's an interesting number. And mm-hmm. uh, around 40 years later or so, he begins to teach the reality of Hashem into to the world, and that begins the epic of the Jewish people and 2,000 years of Torah. The third segment, which began officially in the year 240 of the Common Era, is the period of, known as the period of Mashiach, 2,000 years. Now, what that means is that the written Torah and the oral Torah had reached their final form. In other words, the Mishnah was going to be completed, and then from there, it would just be the interpretation and application of the Mishnah that was codified, Rabbi Yudar Nasi, and of course, would be translated into practical terms, the Shulchan Aruch, etc. But the first part of those 2,000 years, otherwise known as the fifth millennium, terminated in 1240 and Those thousand years uh, as the Vilna Goan wrote, It would be exceedingly difficult for the Jewish people to have merited to return to the land of Israel. They would have needed incredible incredible not that there weren't incredible people, but it was a a difficult road because the timing that Hashem had set is the default plan in other words the world will not go longer than 6,000 years or remind our audience that we're in the year five seven eight oh which means mm-hmm. that 96% of the time has elapsed. Wow. Actually, 96.3% of the time has elapsed. <laughs> and, and therefore, we're in that final you know, 3.6% of the process. People need to know that, that there's, there's a 6,000-year process, and we are well, well into it. And there's important markers along the way that we have, I'll call them milestones, um, Mashiach milestones, that we have already crossed. And I can explain what they are if you like.
0: To I would love you to. Yeah, I'm not going to interrupt unless I don't understand or I feel like it would be good to clarify something. So carry on.
1: Okay. <laughs> As I said, the year 1240 marked the end of the fifth millennium, the beginning of what we call the sixth day. The Torah has described that the creation of the world was six days, and of course, the seventh day is Shabbat. So we know that within the Torah, many, many mitzvot are designed around the seven-step process. For example seven weeks between Pesach and and Shavuot. We have the seven-year cycle of Shemitah, and there are many, many cycles within the Jewish calendar that reinforce the concept of Shabbos, and as Shabbos manifests itself in a host of mitzvot, each one to remind us that this world has a dimension of time which is limited and not forever, and that it, we are must be aware that within the period of time allotted to us in our 120 years, uh, for example, as individuals, we should be sh- moving step-by-step step towards bringing in Shabbos. And we have to understand what that means in broad terms. So the last 4% is uh, we're well on our way to Shabbos arrival. I mean, think about yourself, uh, you know, four hours before Shabbos, how do you feel?
0: <laughs>
1: and, you know, so, I still
0: feel a little confident, but two hours, an hour and a half, I still a little nervous. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. And again, you know, the gula, we believe, can come on any particular day, and certain merits would need to take place, but there is a, a charted time limit for this process, which means Hashem will move it along, whether we are particularly worthy or not. Now, an important marker in the um, sixth day, which began in 1240 and will conclude with the year 2240 which is already will be in the Messianic era, will be in Shabbos, okay? Everything will have been completed. And we're only in the year 2020, correct? Just about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's roughly a 220 years for the world to transform. However, however, there's a significant Zohar. The Zohar teaches us that 272 years before Shabbos arrives is what we call the period of Tosfo Shabbos. You know that just like we bench lift, you know, 20 minutes early, or if you're in line, 40 minutes early. Mm-hmm. Uh, each each um, community acquaintance custom. And, and that time period is, as far as we're concerned, is a mitzvah to extend the Shabbos into the weekday. That's our mitzvah. And mm-hmm. actually, the day has kedusha, And, of course, during once you light candles and accept Shabbos, you can do the Shabbos davenings, you can have the Shabbos observances, and also the restrictions of Shabbos, do kick in, although they really only become punishable in a corporal sense once the stars come out on Friday night. Shabbos then extends itself into the sixth day. Same thing here. And the word Erev, which we associate with Erev Shabbos, is the Gematria 272, which mm. means that 272 years, as the Lord says, prior to the year 6000, we will be already in the Shabbos zone, for lack of a better word. Now that year corresponds to five seven and that would be nineteen sixty seven. So nineteen sixty seven, with the advent of what we call and notice the name of the war. What's the name of the war? Sixty
0: seven war. Six Day War. <laughs> well wow. we
1: call it the six day war, right?
0: Six day what war. Is that? So, so Abraham Vino was born in nineteen forty eight okay? Right. That's when Israel right. was established. And then you're saying, again, there's another hint or connection of uh, 1967 to the beginning of Erev Shabbos, right. and uh, 1967 was the year we had the Six-Day War. Okay.
1: Correct. Okay. And more importantly, wow. where Israel recovers Yerushalayim and Har Habayis, which is, as Hazal explained to us in many different ways, in many different contexts, the central connection between Hashem and our world. So if we don't have that, that, In other words, there's two dimensions of our experience, time and space, and although Hashem is completely above time and space, as, as I hopefully can explain a little bit in this phone call, perhaps on a subsequent call we can go into more detail, Okay. but humans are in the condition of experiencing time and space for the purpose of giving us free will, so we can earn our reward. But of course when that ends, when that time period ends, the, the zone of time and space collapse because that's really the true reality and that's what it means to be connected to Hashem in a fuller sense. So time and space are, how shall I say, not forever and they are not even fixed. And the key point of contact between the world that's above time and space and the world that is, how shall I say, imprisoned in time and space, at least temporarily, is Harabayit, Ushalayim, and the specific point of the Kodesh Kadashim. Mm-hmm. Well, that came into our possession for the first time in thousands of years as Erev Shabbos began to arrive. That's now,
0: terrible.
1: what's important to note is that there's a few other important year markers along the way. The midpoint of Friday, which is the sixth day, would be between the year 5,000 and the year 6,000 It's of course, the year 5,500. Now, remember, we're 280 years past that point already. Mm-hmm. The midpoint of Erev Shabbos, where things begin to really tilt towards Shabbos, was the year 1740. It was the year that the Von Lagon began to teach that it's time to return to Eretz Yisrael. And for all intents and purposes, it marks the beginnings of the return in a serious way of the Jews to the land of Israel in a, in a uh, way which only would be realized more than a hundred years later. And there always were communities in Eretz Israel in the 15th century and 16th century, but they weren't particularly large. They may have been very significant in terms of the quality of the people that were there. The Bartanur was there in the 1480s, a great, great Hamad Chacham, a leader of the Jews at that time. Of course, the Ariya Kadosh and Yir Yosef Karo in the 16th century, 1560s, etc., but it wasn't until Actually, the late 18th century, 1740 and on, that a surge of the topic of returning to Israel became uh, a focus, a real focus. Vilnigal instructed his students to begin to return. He himself tried to go, and also concurrently, there was the Balshemto. The Baal Shem Tov, who was also a contemporary of the Vilnigal, and urged his students to begin to return. There were two great figures. I call pierced the Iron Curtain uh, Enabling the Jewish people to start that process of return and they were only in Eretz Israel for a couple of years Before they passed away one of them was Ramachal Moshe Chaim Tzato mm-hmm. Who died um, like in 1742 he was one of the first what I would say to Spearhead the return of Torah and Yiddishkeit to Eretz Israel in a serious way and then of course the great over the Moroccan giant who emigrated to Israel at the same time and established one of the first yeshivas of Kabbalah in the modern era in Yerushalayim. Now, it's important to note that they weren't the beginning of this process. The Ramban, for example, arrives in Israel after the debate that he was involved with, right, in his uh, home country of Spain.
0: Mm-hmm. He was forced
1: to flee, and he ends up in Eretz Israel approximately 1263, little after 1240, which was the beginning of the 6th millennium. And Ramban is therefore the first rabbinic messianic figure because his return to Eretz Israel and to Yushalayim, and of course he built the very first synagogue in Yushalayim at that period because everything was destroyed. And you know how many Jews the Ramban found in Yushalayim at that time?
0: No, I
1: don't. Two. Two Jews.
0: What?
1: Oh my goodness. Two. And well, there guess, were Jews... Excuse
0: me, just to interrupt, this is probably one of the things that... The, the Arabs lie anyway about all the history, but this is one of the times they probably look into history and say that there were no Jews there, you know?
1: Well, there were Jews a little bit outside were Always Jews, you know, so but there were, always- they were, they were whether they were thousands or, you know, many thousands or several thousands or several hundreds, but there always were Jews. But in this case, Yushalayim had gone through, you know, the, in 1099, all the Jews were killed by the crusaders. And subsequently, there were the, the next level of crusades. There was actually a Mongol invasion and conquest of Yushalayim. People don't really know about that. And that took place exactly when the Ramban was there. So like, Genghis oh. Khan is in charge of
0: yeah, Yushalayim. Yeah.
1: So you yeah. can only imagine the utter destruction. And the Ramban shul is the one that sticks. It's the first shul that actually gets traction, and it's the mar- turning point of really the beginning of the messianic process, as far as I think I'm Many historians are concerned, and we still have the Ramban Shul, right, right next to the Churva mm-hmm. in the old city, right. That is named after that shul that the Rambam created.
0: Oh, okay. Ramban
1: wow. created Nachman, not Rambanides. So concurrent with the beginning of the sixth millennium, 1240, the Ramban comes, and then 500 years later, we see the great scholars coming, and and they pierce what I call the 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 Satan's steel curtain, which um, surrounds the walls of Jerusalem, according to the Zohar, and the process of return begins. The Don didn't make it to Israel, the Baal Shem Tov didn't make it to Israel, and there's no time today to start telling those stories. But their students began to stream in, and then by the beginning of the 1800s, you start to see communities being built. Tzfat was very powerful at that time, until the earthquake in, in uh, 1839, and the Hassam Sofer said, you know, because they were too happy in spot and they needed to start building Yerushalayim. So now, oh, that brings us, wow. that brings us to the Pretty year 1840. <laughs> okay. Alright. The year 1840 was another critical point, and that is the year 5600. Now, what happened in 1840 was, again, I'm going straight through the Zohars that they Goen comments on, and many, many writers have written about who write on this subject was considered the opening of the gates of wisdom. And they take it from the fact that the, the model happened in the 600th year of Noah's life, so over there, Zohar explains that there will be an opening of the wellspring, of, in this case of knowledge, and the world will, will begin to seriously prepare for Shabbos. Now, that would be the year 1840. I don't have time to go into it now, but I have researched the technological findings that happened from 1840, And onward, and you will see the real beginnings of the modern age, um, understanding electricity and understanding atomic structure and the real beginnings of what we would call today modern science. Hmm. And there's another point where the Villeneuve says it's true that in 1840 we're going to have a real industrial revolution, but at the same time, it'll take another 66 years for the Gates of Wisdom to truly open wide. In other words, they're going to start opening in 1840, but they're going to be wide, wide open 66 years later. So it's 600 plus 60 plus 6. In other words, again, think about it. What's the number 6? The 6 days of the week, correct? Mm-hmm. So Every time another 6 passes, we get another little drop of Shabbos. And therefore, in the year 1906, 1905-1906, we reached the year 5666, six, six, which DeVille-Nagone said, would be a fantastic year. Do you know what happened on that year? It's known as Einstein's Miracle Year. He published five papers, including the theory of relativity. (laughs) He just pumped out five papers in that year that changed the way all physics looked at the world. We went from the end of Newtonian physics, which had a very structured look on how things had to go. Like, for example, that time was always the same. And Einstein proved that time is relative. And it's a function Mm -hmm. of Of mass and gravity and speed and he also determined that the speed of light was a constant in other words there are a lot of things that were relative but the only thing that's not relative remarkably so is the speed of light which as you remember I'm going to test you how fast does light go 186,000 miles per second I didn't
0: know that one time (laughs) yeah
1: now scientists have proven that there's nothing in the world that can go faster than that like if you try to explode it out of it and shoot it faster than 186,000 miles per second, it won't work. What happens is that it'll, at that point, start to slow down, and which is an incredible reality, and I believe, in my interpretation, is because or, light, is what Hashem created the world. It's the, the evidence of Hashem in the world. So the one thing that most testifies to God's creation of the world is this reality that everything is relative except for or, except for light. And as much as we can talk about that. And of course, the electric- electricity and el- electromagnetic theory is the basis of all modern technology, including the cell phones that we're talking on. So the year 1906 really marked um, Hashem downloading, as it were, tremendous knowledge so that the world would become technologically more advanced. Now, in America, for example, there were no cars manufactured for the mass, for the public, until 1906, with the Model Ford being rolled off the assembly lines so that everybody could have a car. Now, what these mean, and Chavaz spoke about this, is that the boundaries of time and space were breaking down. And that's really what is the preparation for Shabbos, because we're going into a different reality that we will experience once our world, as we know it, you know, kind of uh, comes to rest. You might ask me a couple questions, because... Um, I-,
0: I have too many questions, I don't even know where to start, because it's so fascinating, but what I'm finding fascinating, besides, you know, you refreshing my historical memory, which is great, is that all the correlations that you, you are giving us of, you know, what happened on the, the, the uh, I guess, the Gregorian calendar technologically and, and with knowledge increasing and uh, the years that are leading towards era of Shabbos. And those kind of correlations are something that I have actually thought about, but, I mean, I didn't really make the connections, so you pointed them out. And some, I'm wondering, actually, if I could just ask, is there a certain reason why, you know, Hashem, do you think, you don't know what he thinks, but you can, you, from all the study you've done, why are we waiting until the very end to learn all this stuff? Like, why didn't people learn this earlier in history? Because they didn't deserve Mashiach at that time, or they didn't deserve the Geula yet? Or, I mean, you see the progression, and it's great, it's all progression, but we're Zochit, or, or we merit to see innovations opening our eyes to innovations and in, in, uh, in, in, in invention only as we get closer to the end of days. That, that's so interesting to me.
1: Yeah, we are, the, you know, unfortunately, at a much lower spiritual level. We call this ikviz the Mashiach, literally the heel of Mashiach. And uh, Kabbalistic, we say that the reservoir of souls that have to empty into the world from what's known as Adam Kadmon, which is the above time and space, again, um, reservoir of, of souls, the, the source of souls, we're down to the, you know, the, the ankles, meaning that we're, ankles we're are, the feet you know, of
0: history, but I heard something really wonderful. We're literally the feet of history, I study a lot yeah. of Hasidists, and I know that the feet of history, we couldn't walk without our feet, so we're going to be walking. That's river, correct. Walking correct. Into, into the end of days and into the Goola, which I think is a beautiful concept. Right,
1: right, exactly. And if all of the eyes and mind and heart of the Jewish people have already come and gone and given their contribution to the world, ultimately it all rests on us and um we have therefore uh, uh getting a lot of help from akars baruchu to give us the amuna that we need in fact that's what the chavaz said he said you have to understand that the last trials of free will will be whether in the modern modern era god will reject man and become atheistic which is exactly what happened starting about the year 1740 <laughs> and It's precisely when Hashem began the campaign of opening up wisdom that also came the challenge to figure out whether that wisdom was of divine origin or divorced of divine origin. And that's really the problem that we have today. And where we're all going with that is another conversation. But ultimately, and and I believe already now, people are figuring out that you cannot separate the two. And that all the scientific discoveries point in that direction, particularly in the field of quantum physics, which did stump Einstein. So Einstein thought that everything could be explained in a nice orderly equation, and then he came to understand that there were things that just were beyond his understanding at that time, and frankly are still beyond human understanding at this time.
0: Right. So, so uh, what I was asking to you before is that do we need this information in order to be prepared for the Ke'ula? We need. Yes, yes. I, I want this information, don't get me wrong. We all want yeah. this information, but we... Why? You know, didn't need it why so do we need it? In history.
1: Oh, why didn't we get it earlier in history? I don't why didn't think we? I mean, that, I don't, I don't glad think... I'm we have, to have of, it now,
0: and, and I'm glad we do, but just... It
1: not. would have happened had we merited it.
0: And another thing, just to ask another question, is um, about what you were saying. Um, you said Hashem is giving us a lot of help right now, and I... I'm so happy to hear you say that because um, I, I'm very excited to be living in this time of history. By mm-hmm. the way, it's a very big deal yes. to me to be have, have the merit. Of, you, you know, I'm a convert. I can't believe it. like you couldn't write a story <laughs> where an Irish Catholic girl meets a, a South African guy in, uh, in Baltimore and ends up in Israel raising a from family. It's just like like to me, this is most and what's going on in the world, and we're in the best place in the world. It's just so fantastic. And on the other hand, yeah. what I see are a lot of suffering and a lot of pain and a lot of difficulties for everybody right now. Because we're at the end of history, I have heard, we are going to have to do the final rectifications for all that hasn't been done yet. So I see a lot of, we always had suffering through the world, of course, but right now I think I feel like people are really um, in a lot of pain in many ways. There's a lot of addictions, there's a lot of divorce, there's a lot of sexual abuse and poverty, the whole thing. And, And if you say Hashem is helping us, then that makes me feel so much better. You know, that's because. Well, I, I just, a, a, wor- a
1: word about that. It's a time of purification. And that's what people have to understand. Just like the Jewish yeah. people were put through Kor Habarzel, a smelting process, the suffering is actually bringing us to much higher levels and to much higher levels of merit. For example, we can't even measure the suffering that the Jewish people have had in this century since 1906. Really, that's where it began. Because, you know, you, you, your first airplanes were really coming out to be produced in a serious way not until the year 1906 and by the year 1914 World War one people were flying you know the Red Baron with machine gun barrels on it you know and uh, and fighting with it so the advent of the technology also presented challenges of man to use it for the good or for evil and that's the pitch we're in a pitched battle between good and evil is what we're in and, you know, the Holocaust was the part of that. War. The and,
0: spiritual and war. And Israel,
1: yeah, yeah. I think it's important to note, to people give a perspective on what's happening right now in America and in Israel. Maybe we'll just conclude with that, and I'd be happy to talk to you another time. And I'm hoping people can find some of this information on my shurim, and I'm hoping to put something in writing, which I'm in the process of working on, just to uh, share my thoughts on this conversation with people, because um, I've given it a lot of thought, and, and I'm excited what I'm seeing, and I think there's a message That's pretty obvious that we have to get ready for Shabbos and what that means in practical Mm -hmm. terms needs to be discussed and understood. And it's the turning from the world that we know, which is what we call the period of Mashiach ben Yosef to Mashiach ben David. We're going from basically an intellectual, logical reality to one which is at its core much more spiritual. And that's been going on for, for quite a while, but intensively since 1906.
0: It's safe to say, because we don't have enough time, I have so many questions for you uh, on a personal level, uh, in terms of like how you came to all these thoughts and things, but are you happy that you, um, that this is what inspired you to make Aliyah, or is there something that you discovered after you made Aliyah, that you just felt like... you? No, no, just definitely,
1: definitely fueled my interest, I said I want to have a front row seat, you know, it's (laughs) like a great show is about to take place, and I want to be in the (laughs) arena, I don't want to be standing, you know, on the line outside waiting for tickets, I'm 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 (laughs) gonna be sitting here at the same time I acknowledge that Aliyah is a vast challenge especially for Anglos who are used to a much much different lifestyle with many things that were just a given for them in America are just not you know their reality here and there's a lot of adjustments to make emotionally physically spiritually and uh, it's really a refinement process and it's a big challenge I'm not uh, I'm not minimizing the challenge I don't think that it's a cakewalk for anyone. <laughs> at the same time, I don't know any better way to devote your life at this point.
0: Well, I mean, so
1: you're going to okay. have to, yeah. So I'll just yeah, end well, with this just really point. want to quickly give um, a
0: commercial for you. I would like you to if anybody wants to reach you, um, how can they contact you, Rabbi, and where can they listen to your shirim? If well, not my
1: shirim are, are uh, I'm not thrilled about it, but my People have recorded them and videoed them, and they're up on YouTube on a mm-hmm. channel called J. Jakob Schwartz. Okay. And there's about, uh, I, I think it's well over 100, maybe 180 half-hour videos, which are usually uh, two parts of a sheer. And they can be watched there. There's just, and then, like I said, I'm in the process of um, creating an app, an application that could be downloaded um, onto your devices or computers or whatever. And uh, I'm hoping to, um, to put out some of these shiram in, in a form, in a written form, where people can get some of the basic ideas, uh, okay. and more well, of like I have an, an, email es- list. an essay about the Gula.
0: But fantastic. I have an email list, and I'll make sure we pass it far and wide, so yeah. people can join your yeah. email list.
1: The Trump <laughs> and Netanyahu era and all the tribulations. Well, according to the Vilna the markers that we've passed already are the ingathering of the exiles, the purification of the land through observance of Shemitah law, right? The centrality mm-hmm. of of Torah coming out of Israel as opposed to any other country, which happened starting, you know, in, this, in the 50s and 60s. And then, of course, the capture and building of Yushalayim. But the stage that we're currently at, according to the Vilna is what's called restoring Anshiamana, which means the removal of corrupt leadership. Mm -hmm. and uh, leadership that is um, directly in defiance of belief of Torah and observance of Mitzvah. So we are in a cleansing purification process, both in Israel and in America. And whatever your political stance is, you realize that there's a, you know, a real battle in terms of what's right, what's wrong, what's truthful, what's not truthful uh, in media, in politics. And it's not a bad process. It looks chaotic. But ultimately, divine values will win out over uh, anti-Torah values. So, so just fasten your seatbelt. Don't be disgusted by the political process. It's just a purification,
0: and it's part of the process. That's one of the things. Which is a
1: very imperative part. We have to have part of the process. Everything
0: that happens is part of the process. The fact that we were established by non-Jewish, non-religious, Jew-hating Jews—that's part of the process. We can't deny that. The Holocaust, part of the process. So people right. have to realize it. was look at, it at the bigger picture, as Rabbi Francis Winston would say, look at the yes. big picture. So I Rabbi, I thank you again for joining patient us. Patient and optimistic, and,
1: yeah. All <laughs> right, thank you so much.
0: And Thank you, and listen, I bless you that uh, you'll be one of the leaders that we'll be, be able to attach ourselves to to learn more and more about this as the time goes on and we get closer and closer to Mashiach.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me on, and um, I I, uh, wish all of your listeners a lot of success in their plans to be in Israel and supporting Israel and supporting the preparations for Shabbos, and it's a discussion we should all be having.
0: Amen. Thank you, Rabbi.